everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Daniel Day, your host, and I am joined by Brother Alton Garrison. Brother Garrison, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm getting uh, back into travel just a little bit after being pretty much uh, uh, shut down from travel. Uh, but it's, I was in uh, Phoenix. I've been in Florida. And I've been in Springfield where it's been a tundra. Well, Phoenix and Florida sound a whole lot better than the winter blast that Springfield has been experiencing. So you were a smart man to get out of Dodge for a little bit. Uh, God has been good. (laughs) Amen. Amen. As we get started today, would you please do us a favor and open us up with a quick word of prayer? Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of discussing what's on your heart. The church is on your heart. And I believe that a healthy church a spirit-empowered healthy church is the hope of the world. Yes. And so I pray today that you would give us direction, that you would let us have an anointing, and Lord, let us speak your wisdom and your words. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. And I pray that everyone who is viewing, listening, and connecting will be changed. Amen. Amen. For those just joining us, we are with Brother Alton Garrison, the Executive Director for the Acts 2 Journey, which focuses on church revitalization and mentorship and coaching. And uh, so I think, Brother Garrison, you are uniquely qualified with all of your years of experience and what you're doing now, sitting on multiple committees that focus on helping churches become healthy, uh, to, to speak to us on today's topic, which is how does a church get healthy? How does a church culture become the best possible version of what God wants it to be? We're talking today about church health. Brother Garrison, could you just open us up by explaining to us uh, your definition of what it means to be a healthy church? Thank you. Thanks for the privilege of speaking to your audience today. and It's a joy to be with you, Daniel. God bless you. I tell you, uh, it's really a passion. I believe it's a revelation. I also believe it's a command. I believe God is really, really wanting to see our churches healthy because I believe that that's how we're going to impact the world. So, you know, my background is I was an evangelist after I've left Bible college. And for nearly 20 years, that's what I did. I was an itinerant speaker. So I got to observe a lot of things, a lot of churches. I didn't get to look under the hood very closely, but I did get to see some things that kind of worked and some things that didn't work. And in 1986, I became the pastor of a very historic church, a church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, that really uh, was a good church. powerful missions church, but had kind of been stuck for about 30 years in a, in, a, in a numeric fashion. And so I had an experience and I had a preaching style, but what I lacked was a process. Mm-hmm. And so my father, that story is told in a book I've written called The Spirit Empowered Church. And the Holy Spirit, when I was writing the book, said, you are literally replicating your father's ministry. And I couldn't understand that for quite a while. But my father was a high school dropout. My father had become an alcoholic. 
My father was a dysfunctional alcoholic, got saved later in life at the age of 37. The miracle is not only did he get saved and delivered from alcoholism, God called him to preach, and within 12 months after his conversion, he was pastor in church. Now, we don't do it that way anymore, and I probably shouldn't have done it then. But sometimes God makes exceptions, and that's what happened in his case. It was a small church in a small town, and he had this experience that was so supernatural and transformative, and he developed a preaching style that's pretty famous today. It's called a narrative style of preaching because he had no other background but he lacked a process. So I say all of that because I believe that Acts chapter two lays that template out exactly that way. Verse four, you know, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, powerful, supernatural outpouring, speaking in languages they had not known. That's the experience, the encounter. When Peter began to explain to those who were inquisitive about what does this mean, he preached this dynamic message, that powerful message that was so powerful and so transformative that 3,000 people got saved and baptized the first day. Amen. Now, if your church grew from 120 to 3,120 in one day, what would you do? <laughs> You'd be excited, and then you would wonder, how do we handle this crap? How do we disciple them? How do we teach them to become part of the church? And I believe that's what Dr. Luke described in verses 42 through 47. And most everybody that reads that passage, no matter what, if they're evangelical, they derive five functions from that passage. Evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, gift-oriented ministry, or we might say volunteerism, and worship. And so when I'm defining a healthy church, or when we're trying to create a, a model that we want to emulate, we say you need an encounter, but you also need a strategic plan. Amen. So some people think that if you're strategic, you can't be anointed, you can't be... Uh, revelational, but I say it's not either or, it's both and. So when we say healthy church, we're saying let's look at the first century template where there was an encounter, there was an anointed message, and there was a process. So when, when we began to unfold that, we see that there were five functions, and you can name them any way you want to, but when I'm given a definition of what does a healthy church do, what is it and what does it look like? I say it is a church that pursues and obeys God passionately. That's worship. It engages and maintains loving relationships. That's fellowship. It develops and mobilizes its people to become disciples. It also acts with clear direction and outward focus that's the service ministry and reproduces and multiplies the mission and other people and other places around the world locally across the street so that's the five functions we say we call it connect grow serve 
go worship. So when we say a healthy church, that's what we're trying to say, Daniel. It's tremendous, and it's solidly biblical and very Pentecostal, and I appreciate that so much. Um, you travel a lot, and I know that the pandemic put a halt on a lot of travel, but when you zoom out over the last many, many years, there's no telling how many miles you've traveled personally. Um, can you give us the bird's eye view? What's the, what's the 30,000 foot view of the American church right now? And why is church revitalization so very important? Well, the church is more diverse than it's ever been because our culture is more diverse than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a book several years ago called Megatrends. Then Mark Penn wrote a book called Microtrends. And even our general superintendent, Doug Clay, has identified seven different personalities of churches. So we see this diversity from traditional to contemporary, from specialized, specialized churches to, I mean, they're all kinds. But the thing that is so interesting today and what is a challenge as I travel, here's the challenge. Pew, Barna, Gallup, everybody's saying that we are seeing discipleship deficiencies like never before that people who claim to be believers, Christians, they are not living any differently than non-Christians. Mm. So that's the challenge. That's, that's a main challenge. Another challenge is, is that we really, in the, our tribe, we are a smaller rural church movement. Now, some people don't understand this, but our average attendance per church, 13,000 churches, is about 150. Most people would say it's under 100. But our median-sized church has not changed in 30 years. Well, it was 70 for 30 years, and then it dropped to 68, went back to 69 right before the pandemic. So when you look at our movement, 30,000-foot view, you have mega churches that are driving the, the number, the, the average number up, but you also have many churches that are living in a plateaued or declined state. So 84% of the churches in our tribe have less than 200 on any given Sunday. Mm -hmm. Two thirds, 68% have less than a hundred. And then when you, look at those and break those down, 70% are either plateaued or declining. So that's what we're trying to address. And the reason that they're plateaued and declining is primarily because of a couple of three things that are easily identified. When people become inward focused, when their preferences are more important than their vision, Mm, and they big. become less outward focused and more inward focused. In fact, I read a, a, a survey some time ago by Ken Hunter, who interviewed 15,000 evangelical churches. And he found this alarming fact that 80% of the, 
of those he were able to survey, 80% thought that the primary purpose of church was for their personal comfort and care. Wow. Now, I don't think people would actually get up and say, it's all about me. <laughs> but when you have inward focus instead of outward focus, guess what else you have? Lack of vision. Without vision, the people perish. When you have no vision, guess what else happens? You begin to exercise your own preference, and that creates conflict. So lack of vision, inward focus, and conflict, that's our challenge. So I, I see that, but I know that Jesus is building the church, so I'm very happy to tell you that God is moving in some very special ways. And we have seen some phenomenal transformations in our Acts 2 journeys when churches have gone through with a vision team, and I'll explain that later, how all that works. But I can tell you that there is hope, <laughs> that confident expectation of something good that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to inspire hope and say, it doesn't matter where you are on the life cycle, God can help you build a brand new life cycle. That's, that's great. And I'd like to ask a follow-up question, if I may. It's not on our list, but I think it flows nicely with what you just said. I think that someone watching who is currently pastoring or leading in a plateaued or declining church might be listening to you and wondering, do I have what it takes? You know, what kind of a leader does it take? What kind of characteristics might you be looking for in a pastor or a leader that could successfully lead their congregation into a good revitalizing season? What kind of a leader does it take to do that? So this is something that we are very passionate and very emphatic about. And I want to be careful because everybody's different. Everybody's different. We're, we're not all the same and we're all wired differently. I get that. Now, there are some categories that we can fit people in that are descriptive psychologically and even spiritually. But when we engage a church, our church engages in what we're going to call the Acts 2 journey, we ask that the pastor and we help them select these friends, put together a vision team from that church. Now we have found that this is a secret sauce, Daniel. This is a secret sauce. So you don't have to be all things to all people. That's good. Let me just tell you, mega church pastors, I pastored a church that ran several hundred. I wouldn't call it a mega church, but it was close to 2000 when I left, over 1500. I didn't know where the breaker box was. There's a lot of stuff about that church building I didn't know. Why? Because I could staff my weakness. But when you have 80 people or 90 people or 100 people, so many times these pastors have to wear multiple hats. Yeah. They're the primary communicator. They're the primary counselor. They're the primary janitor. They're the primary pastoral care person. Do you see what I'm saying? So they are literally facing 
what some people would never think that they could get done. They are never off book. In other words, they are 24 hours a day. And I have such a heart for pastors that are pastoring smaller churches. And what we say smaller, we'd say 200 and under. Because if this vision team comes around them and, and we ask them to have a team that's multi-generational, we want younger and middle-aged and older. We want them to be male and female. We want them to be known leaders and then others that are not in any kind of office. And we want that number to be between eight and 15. It can be larger. But the reason is when these people come together and begin to discuss, we hear it time and time and time and time and time and time again, when they say we have never sat with our pastor and talked about these issues. Mm. When they get excited, guess what? When the pastor goes back and starts to talk about this vision, this launching of this Acts 2 template, the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to ask each other, what'd you think about what the pastor said? <laughs> well, if you've got a team that's already has bought in, they're going to say, man, this is fantastic. And we have seen pastors move from this plateaued, this place of mediocrity or even discouragement or even emotional burnout to a place of victory because they get this help around them. It's like Aaron and her lifting up the arms of the great leader. We got that going. So when I, when you ask me, what does it take? It takes somebody that's open to the Holy Spirit, that's willing to let other people come beside them and help them. Because when you start empowering other people, then sometimes it challenges our own worth. <laughs> yeah, And so it's a long journey. So what we do in an Acts 2 journey, we take Friday afternoons and just talk to pastors. We don't, that, that nobody else can come, pastor and spouse. That's it. And we take about three hours on Friday and we talk and we teach and we help and we let them vent. Then Saturday they come with their vision team and we start taking them on an exercise and we answer 10 questions. And I, when we get there, I'll talk about how we actually lead them through a process and they have to find good answers to 10 questions. That's good. I want to go there, but let me recap what you just said, because I, I want every student and I want every person watching to hear this. You don't have to be some, you know, 10 talent person to do this. You said Holy Spirit and you said humble. Yeah, that was really it. You know, you could, if, you, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're a humble leader, meaning you know you don't have all the answers and you can't do it all by yourself, you can do this. Yes. You can do this. Yes. And really, uh, those, those leaders out there who have the capacity to build massive things, uh, whether it's church world or business world or some other thing, I look at some leaders and they've got massive churches. And I think to myself, whatever that guy or whatever that girl would have done in life, it would have been huge. If they had gone into business, it would have been huge. If they had gone into writing, it would have been huge because they have that gifting, that personality, that charisma that can gather huge things and, and do it successfully. Those people are incredibly rare. Let them be them, but let's let the Holy Spirit do his thing through us uniquely 
and recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit working through a humble person can accomplish incredible things. Wouldn't you agree, sir? Exactly. In fact, I mean, Pat Lenzioni writes a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really like what he wrote when he just boils it down to three things. Be hungry. In other words, God doesn't really help you too much if you're not willing to work. Amen. <laughs> so that means you're hungry. You want to you get up and go. Be humble. You just mentioned that. And then be smart. And when they say smart, they're not talking about IQ. Now, this is something that's it's a little dangerous, Daniel, because mm-hmm. we get into this quite a bit. But it, it really takes a while to unpack it. So I, I'm, I could be misunderstood when I say what I'm about to say. But I really think that in, in, a, in a smaller setting, the relationships are king. Yes. If people don't like you. So that third thing, being smart, really what he's talking about is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Self-awareness. How do, you, how do you affect people when you walk in a room? When they get to know you, do they like you better the longer they know you or do they like you less? You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, so we try to help pastors understand. And, I have, and we've been taught the other way. Well, I don't want people to like me. I want them to respect me. Well, how's that working out for you? Because <laughs> if they don't like you, they're not going to follow you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be the greatest preacher. Mm-hmm. You don't, we, we need to quit comparing ourselves. The, the downside of this pandemic it, it, the down, there's a lot of downsides, but the downside that hardly anybody talks about is that pastors are going to be compared to the greatest communicators on planet earth <laughs> because every Sunday they get a chance to watch great services, great pastors preaching great messages, and they may not get a special revelation every week, <laughs> but I can tell you, one of the things I'm encouraged them to do is just be honest about who you are. Yes. And then be a curator of good material. So good. If you can't read and you can't study, you can say, you know, well, I heard uh, so-and-so say this, or I heard so-and-so. That's not going to diminish their opinion of you. Mm-hmm. Give credit, but keep hungry for yes. good information, good sermons. Find out. I listen to podcasts. I was listening to a podcast while I was working out this morning. I'm always listening. I want to hear. I'm kind of like the guy is sitting in front of the TV with a remote control. I don't want to know what's on TV. I want to know what else is on TV. So Right. That's good I don't stuff. know if that helps or not, but that, that's a practical thing. No, I, I love it. I love it. You said the word curator and uh, recently on a podcast by uh, Brad Lominick, he said yeah. curators are the new influencers, meaning people wow. who can just bring good material around uh, individuals or groups or tribes or, or churches or businesses. Uh, you don't have to be the source of the information. You've just curated, just like a, uh, a curator at a museum is not the one who painted the pictures, but they've arranged yeah. the experience. They've arranged the experience for people to walk through Curators are the new influencers, according to Brad Lominick. I think it's, I think there's something there. I really do. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it takes a little time to read and study and listen, but just think about it. Uh, mm. 
my dad used to have a saying, you know, he never finished high school, but he had a lot of native intelligence. And he said, son, it doesn't take long to get to the bottom of everybody's honey jar. <laughs> so what he's saying is you got to keep learning because right. you'll run out of stuff pretty quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let's wind our, our conversation down uh, and give us those 10 items quickly. And then I want you to wrap us up with a, a brief uh, encouraging word. So what happens, Daniel, is that when we start a, an Acts 2 journey, let me, let me say, let me give you a couple of thoughts that, that we've been talking about recalibration and church health and revitalization. But guess what else we've found? That this is really for all churches. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a firm believer in church planning. I helped start a church planning in the Assemblies of God. I mean, church planning has always been a part of the Assemblies of God, but in 2006, uh, when I was U.S. missions director, we actually started the, Steve Pike and I started the matching fund that the CMN still uses today. So I, I believe in planting churches. But I also believe, and I, and, and I wish we could get our students and our Bible colleges to understand this. There's over a million people that are worshiping in plateaued and declining churches. They already have relationships in the community. We know they're already faithful. We know that many of them, the churches, they own their own property or almost own it. What if we could turn them from being inward focused to being outward focused? Look what kind of dynamic somebody that you would have. Somebody says, well, it's easier to uh, birth a baby than it is to resurrect the dead. Yeah, but Jesus did pretty good at funerals too. He sure did. I mean, you got to understand that. So we found, let me, let me give you a stat. 32.7% in the year before the pandemic, because we didn't take our stats during the pandemic year. But the year before the pandemic, 32.7% of the churches that came through one of our Acts 2 journeys, and we're in 42 of our districts right now, and we're also in several countries of the world. My book is in six languages, uh, so it's, it's really a global movement. 32.7% were already growing when they joined the journey. Praise they God. were looking for a next level potential. We are finding that when they go through this journey, something begins to generate. And we don't believe that numbers, nickels and noses are always what is going to gauge how healthy you are. In fact, we have several assessments. And one of our assessments is that we have five health factors that are not tied to numbers or to money. So it's how healthy are you? And when you start talking about health, now we, we're okay with growth. <laughs> we, we, we need more people. That's how you win more people to the Lord. But if, if you look at our ebook that I, I think I sent you a copy, we have 44%. We tracked a group of declining churches and we found that for almost 44% of them were growing after three years into another level. So, what we're doing is we take, we take 10 questions and we break it down into four retreats. And so here they are. Number one, why do we exist as a church? That is answered by understanding what your mission is. And we believe the mission is universal. 
that Jesus left us a great commission and a great commandment. Amen. And if we get that down, that's pretty much our mission. That's it. Secondly is where are we going as a church? That's our vision. What is God's preferred future? So I mentioned all these different personalities. They're all in a different place. They need a vision. What does, what would make up that vision? The passion of the leader, the ability of the people in the congregation and the needs of the community. So everything has to be contextualized to that. So we're not looking for a one size fits all. This is not a cookie cutter deal. We're not handing you a program. We're talking about a lifestyle. So why do we exist? Where are we going? That's your vision. Then something that's extremely important is how will we behave? Mm -hmm. What are our values? That's, that's our DNA. That's our personality. That's what makes us different. I mean, you could have two churches across the street from each other. They could have a different set of values, all Bible-based, and attract two different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. So we're not in competition with anybody, but we all have our distinct values. We help people write their values. We help them create their vision, and we do that with a team. After that, then we ask them, how are you going to put that into a plan? And when you start making that plan, we start then implementing and bringing in the five functions. So how will we engage new people? That's evangelism. How are we going to reach the people across the street and around the world? How are we going to treat them once they arrive? That's our hospitality. That's our fellowship. That's the people that are at the doors and in the parking lots and helping you got to be trained to do all of that because uh, we used to have a saying at the church where our pastor get ready. This is pretty intellectual. Okay. <laughs> Nothing falls in place, but dirt. <laughs> so, so you gotta, you gotta plan. So how are we going to treat them once they arrive? Then how are we going to disciple them? And there's a, there's a lot of ways to do that, but you have to be intentional or they will not grow. Then, the next question is how are we going to train them and equip them and release them to serve? Because as they serve, the more you grow the inner core of service, the servant leaders, the bigger the circumference gets. Then we put another one in that's probably not as easily identified in Acts 2, 42 through 47, but I believe it's so important. And that is how are we going to get people to live a missional lifestyle, missions, local, personal, and global. And then how we will connect people to God, that's worship. So those 10 questions are broken down into four different retreats, Friday and Saturday, and we answer all of those. And when we get to the end, we've accumulated enough material that they write a plan, like a three-year plan, that they're going to implement. And we have a mentoring ministry that helps them go through the process, then launch the vision and then implement the plan. So good. If someone wants to get a hold of you, if someone wants to be able to download some of these resources, what's the website? How can they reach out Acts to journeycom The number two, Acts2Journey.com. In fact, you could go to Acts2Journey com and download. We have two eBooks, an Acts 2 Journey eBook and a mentoring certification eBook that explains everything in a much greater detail. We have all kinds of resources. We have an assimilation plan. 
We have uh, a survey that evaluates 12 health factors. We've got uh, ACTS survey, which is A-C-T-S. A is your abilities, T is your temperament, S is, uh, is your spiritual gift, uh, C is your calling, I think I missed that one, your calling or your passion. So you, we have store, a way to help people. Is, I think one of the big problems coming back from pandemic is lack of volunteers. And I think that this ACTS survey will help people understand what kind of ability do you really have? What is your passion or your calling you feel called to? We got to identify your temperament because some people are better at the door than they are in their office. And some people are better at the office than they are at the door. So, you know, from the court of, so, so these are the ways that, that, that are practical. We need some practical things and uh, acts2journey.com. We do an intensive, which is a three day training. That's periodical. We just had to cancel one still because of COVID. And then we also are doing, in fact, when I was in Florida recently, we uh, are working now to establish two different cohorts, one in the North, one in the South, that we still have room for other churches if they'd like to join. Very good. Uh, With your permission, I'll put a link to those eBooks in the show notes below. Sure and also a link to your website. And uh, there'll be a phone number there as well for anyone who wants to reach out to your office. And I hope we can- Austin Jacobs is the guy that is our director of operations. And uh, so all of our emails are pretty easy. Our first name, like A Garrison at ag.org and Austin Jacobs, A Jacobs at ag.org. So it's real easy to get a hold of us. Very good. One final word of encouragement to us, brother, and then I'm going to have you close us in prayer. What would you say to the, the young leader, the old leader, who's currently in a situation where they need to revitalize their church? What's the word of encouragement for them today? Well, I can tell you, if you are, and, and we help people find where they are on the life cycle, because every organization, everybody has a life cycle. If you are still feeling confident about your ministry, we say you still need to be talking about vision for the future. If you get to a place that you feel really stuck and you're kind of discouraged and emotionally drained, I encourage you to decide what are you going to do about it? We're not looking for just another quick fix. This is not another silver bullet. This is a process that takes a while, but I can tell you when we get to the end of that journey, I've seen churches, groups, visions. I've seen leaders of groups stand and cry when the excitement gets so high in the room because everybody gets to at least demonstrate what God has been doing in their lives. It's, it's, it's relational and it's powerful. So if you're discouraged, I'd say, let the Holy Spirit give you a, a reason for being. And, and that I can't create. I, I, that calling I can't create. But if you have that calling and you, you say, well, I've tried a lot of stuff. Why don't you give us a chance to come alongside you Uh, and see what will happen, because I believe that journey is the key, and, and, and pray, yes, we, we bathe it all in prayer, but I can tell you, uh, 
remember what I said at the beginning, Daniel, it's not just a strategy, it's spirit, but it's not just spirit, it's strategy. When you bring them together, you can have a dynamic transformation. And I believe that it will take us to another level and that other level, it may not be that we become a church of 2000, but what if you're a church that's a church of influence in your community? I talked to a pastor the other day in a town of 50. He just retired and he is running about a hundred in a town of 50. I sent them a video complimenting them for being a church, listen to this, that gave a million dollars in 10 years to missions. Amazing. Now that's a church of 50. I mean, a town of 50 and a church of a hundred. You say, how did they do that? They got a lot of wealthy people. No, it's a country church up in the hills of Arkansas. But I can tell you, you can be healthy no matter where you are, no matter what your location is, no matter how big your church is, you can still be a healthy, vibrant church that's a church of influence. So good. Pray for us, brother. Lord, I thank you that Jesus, you're the builder of the church. And I pray that someone listening to me right now is thinking in their life, their heart, their mind, maybe it's time for me to quit. Hopelessness has just rocked their world. We know what the Bible says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. They may think that, that they are a failure, but they're not a failure because they have you on their side. Holy Spirit, you are the one who empowers. So I pray that you empower my friend right now and that you give them a hunger to go to another level. And I pray, Lord, that you will heal their hurts that you will restore their hope, that you will encourage them spiritually and just excite them about the future. I pray for a miracle in their life, their family, and their ministry. Amen and amen. Amen. Today we have been with Brother Alton Garrison, Executive Director for the Acts 2 Journey. Brother Garrison, thank you so much. God bless you.